And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Herbert Marshall stars in the true story about George Washington and Benedict Arnold on the cavalcade of America from 1945. Then, with Independence Day approaching, Gildy wants to deliver the town's 4th of July speech on the Great Gildersleeve from 1952. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Are you enjoying these episodes of 4th of July classic radio you shows? No, if I wasn't enjoying them, I would not be sitting next to you This right is here. true. This is true. Well... I do pay I you a, a lot a, of money. I though, know. Too. I bring in the big bucks, but yeah. I have an expert Tons teacher of money. right here. Gosh, that's why I'm broke and she's rich. That's for sure. All right, it's time for The Cavalcade of America. Now, this was an anthology drama series. Came to radio in 1935, lasted all the way to 1953, and it was sponsored the entire run by one sponsor, DuPont. These were documented historical events using stories of individual courage, initiative, and achievement with triumphs against all odds, often through technological innovation. The stories were written by Arthur Miller, Stuart Hawkins, Robert Tallman, and many, many others. The stars included Orson Welles, Ray Collins, Cary Grant, John McIntyre, Agnes Moorhead, Ronald Reagan, Mickey Rooney, and many, many more. It was telecast on TV from 1952 through 1957. We have an episode for you now. This is going back to a broadcast date of February 19, 1945. It's called Washington and the Traitor. It stars Herbert Marshall. Here's part one of The Cavalcade of America. Presenting Herbert Marshall in Washington and the Traitor on the DuPont Cavalcade. Sponsored by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. DuPont cellophane, duco, nylon are well known. The DuPont Company presents Herbert Marshall as General George Washington in Washington and the Traitor on the DuPont Cavalcade. This is a story of crisis, of 24 critical hours, one of the most crucial days in American history. The day begins on the morning of September 25th in the year 1780. As the clock ticks off the minutes of this eventful day, a man's life and honor hang in the balance. And before the day is gone, still another man, entrusted with the fate of a young nation and of an idea, walks to the very edge of despair. September 25th, 1780. And along the east bank of the Hudson River, there are signs of autumn. Sumac, the first red of the dogwood trees, white caps in the river. And war and revolution seem for the moment remote, 
as General Washington rides south from Fishkill, accompanied by his staff, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Hamilton, Major General Knox, Lafayette, Colonel McHenry, and others. General Washington? Yes, Hamilton? Do you think we'll reach General Arnold's headquarters for breakfast? I did, but I doubt we'll get there in time now. If we omit this next scheduled stop... Yes, Your Excellency, the fort on the east bank is probably manned, sir. I've been over the ground myself. No, Colonel McHenry, I promised myself an inspection of that fort. If it's well manned, there's nothing lost but an hour or two. May I suggest, sir, that some of the men are... Well, that is to say... Hungry? Yes, sir. They've had nothing to eat since supper last night. One moment. Whoa. I know, Colonel. Neither have I. I'll send someone to tell General Arnold we've been delayed. I'll go, sir. Yes, I thought of sending you and Captain Shaw. And, uh, could I go along with the Colonel, sir? Three men to carry a message, Hamilton? Is there need for so many? Is there need for so many? Oh, well, no, sir. I wonder. Seems to me I detect a considerable eagerness. What is it? Is there rumor he eats well, that his larder is well stocked? Oh, no. Oh, no, of course not, sir. Because I presume that General Arnold eats salt fish, as we all do. Or could it be that the young officers of my staff wish to feast their eyes on the renowned beauty of Madame Arnold? Well, to be plain about it, sir, I think it's important we get there. We shall in good time. But soon, sir. After all, General Arnold commands West Point. And West Point is the key fort of all our Hudson River defenses. That's right. And since it's so vitally important, sir... One moment, Hamilton. Since West Point is the key to our defenses, I have put our most important general in command there. Oh, yes, sir, but... We we know you trust the place you place in General Arnold, sir. But still, sometimes some of us are a bit uneasy. Uneasy? You don't mean uh, envious, do you, Colonel? I know it sounds that way, sir. But it's simply that we know that General Arnold is often undisciplined. Why, even at Saratoga, sir, he refused to take advice. And worse, he disobeyed a direct order. Yes, yes, he did. But General Arnold did something else at Saratoga. Yes, he won a victory. A great victory, Colonel McHenry. And in this war, victories are even more needed than blind discipline. And so the day begins. A serene day. A day of apparent calm in the progress of the war. McHenry and Shaw leave with a message for General Arnold, and Washington continues his inspection of the forts upriver. He is leisurely and thorough. But in General Arnold's headquarters across the river from West Point, for two people, the crisis has already come for General Arnold and his wife, Peggy Arnold. Hours later, on the road outside the headquarters, two young officers, adjutants to General Arnold, await the imminent arrival of Washington and his staff. They're damnably slow at getting here. Uh, it's the waiting makes you think so. The last messenger said they'd be here in an hour. Lacks ten minutes of that. Well, it seems afternoon on. <laughs> You're nervous, that's all. Come on, sit down, Major Franks. Here on the wall. You're wasting boot leather walking about like that. Very well. Yes, I am nervous. There's something. There's a smell of storm. <laughs> the quietest, clearest day I remember. Uh, see that sky? I don't mean weather. I mean... Colonel Varick, what do you feel about the things that have been going on here? Oh, you mean Smith, huh? Yes, among other things. Joshua Smith, renegade turncoat, sitting at dinner with General Arnold as an honored guest. No, I couldn't stomach it either. But maybe the General's right. He's had experience. Right? How? 
And saying that sometimes in war you gloss over the fine points. Sometimes you put your conscience in your pocket. It was a question of food. This smith, it seems, can get supplies. Well, perhaps. Now there's this business of the general leaving. Why? Isn't he upstairs? I thought you heard him leave. No. Well, you know he got a dispatch at breakfast, went directly up to Mrs. Arnold. Yes, I thought he was still there. No, he came downstairs in a devil of a hurry. Told me he wanted a horse. I, I said, what horse? He, he said anything, saddle a wagon horse if need be, and then he saw the saddled horse of Washington's dispatch rider. He took that? Yes, and rode off at a clip, I can tell you. I told him General Washington was arriving any minute. What did he say? He said, tell the general I have urgent business at West Point. Be back in an hour. Oh, <laughs> and you've no worry. I suppose not. Simply strange that he... Right. Listen, there they are now. Yeah. Looks like a large party. He has his entire staff with him. General Washington, sir. Colonel Varick. Uh, yes, sir. And this is Major Franks, adjutant to General Arnold. Sir? Oh, may I help you dismount, sir? Thank you, sir. We'll dismount here, gentlemen. There you are, sir. Ah. Ah, it's good to leave the saddle. And how is General Arnold, Major? How? How is he, sir? The state of his health, man. The thigh bone he cracked at Saratoga. Oh, I, I'd say the general is enjoying the best of health, sir. You men serve under a brave and brilliant officer. We're sure of that, sir. The nation is greatly in his debt. The general will be pleased to hear your high opinion, sir. And he begs that your excellency will await him. Await him? Yes, Colonel Hamilton. Urgent business has called General Arnold across the river to the forts at West Point. How long will he be gone? Well... He said he'd be back as soon as possible, sir. You see, Hamilton, you and McHenry are concerned over the forts at West Point. And all the while, they are commanded by a man who is even more concerned than you. Oh, yes. Yes, I can see that. So we'll have our breakfast now and then cross over and see the West Point forts. Drop in on General Arnold and surprise him. The sun is high and the day like midsummer when General Washington and his staff cross by barge to the West Point forts. General Arnold is not there. But the commander-in-chief inspects the fortifications, finds some neglect, some disrepair. About noon, Washington and his party recross the river and start back on horseback toward General Arnold's headquarters. Well, I can't make head and tail of this, Hamilton. Where is Arnold? It's worrying me too, General Knox. His Excellency's courier just brought news that Arnold hasn't returned to his headquarters. Yeah, General Washington's calm enough. Calm as a rock. Look at him ahead there. Can you direct me to General Washington's company, sir? This is it, Captain. I have a dispatch for His Excellency. Sergeant. You can hand it here, Captain. When I was told to hand it to the General personally, sir, it's very confidential. I'm Colonel Hamilton. His Excellency's aide. Well, sir, I'd like to take it to him myself, as I was told to do. You don't trust me? Oh, it's not that, sir, but... Is he in this party, Colonel? Up ahead. Well, I'd like to look at his face again, sir. I was at Valley Forge. Oh. Oh, well, then I'll take you to him. Come along. General Washington? General Washington, sir? Yes, Hamilton. This dispatch rider's just arrived. Yes? Captain Drake reporting, sir. Have dispatch from Colonel Jameson. It's urgent. Very well, Captain. Thank you. I've seen you before. Oh, yes, sir. At Valley Forge. I was with your headquarters there for a while. You have quite a memory, sir. Yes, I remember faces. Well, now, this dispatch. General Washington. Anything wrong, sir? Uh, what, what, Hamilton? Has there been a battle, sir? Yes. Yes, in a way, a battle. A battle for a man's soul. What do you mean, sir? Hamilton, 
I want you to call a meeting of all my staff in General Arnold's headquarters as soon as we get there. Tell them it's most urgent. And General Arnold, sir, should he be there too? General Arnold? By all means, Hamilton. If you can find him. September 25th, 1780. A day of crisis. And yet, there is no hint in the slant of the early afternoon sun or in the crisp, ruffled waters of the Hudson River. Still, it is crisis. For in the study of General Arnold's Fieldstone headquarters across the river from the West Point forts, the staff of General Washington is gathered together, and Washington is hurrying to meet with them. Well, Hamilton, they're all inside, sir. Knox, Lafayette, Colonel Lamb, and the others. We haven't been able to locate General Arnold. Thank you. But I took the liberty of including General Arnold's adjutants, Colonel Varick and Major Franks. Oh, you did. Well, let's go in now. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Afternoon, afternoon, sir. Be seated. <laughs> gentlemen, I have a matter of extreme gravity to discuss with you. But before I begin, Colonel Varick. Uh, yes, Your Excellency. Major Franks. Yes, Your Excellency. I must ask you two gentlemen to step outside until we have finished. Oh, but sir, I thought you... all right, Hamilton. You had no way of knowing. Gentlemen. Very well, Excellency. We'll wait outside. Now then... This dispatch I hold in my hand is from Colonel Jameson, commander of our outpost downriver. It bears, gentlemen, most serious tidings, whose full implications I have not yet been able to face. Will you read it, sir? I'll tell you in effect. The dispatch says that a man named John Anderson was arrested on the Tarrytown Road. He carried with him certain plans and drawings which I have here. Will you look at them, Colonel Hamilton? Yes, Your Excellency. Well, sir? Why? Why, they're the plans of the West Point Fort, sir. I'll take my oath on it. West Point? Yes, look here. We stood on that hill just two hours ago, remember? And this, this cannon emplacement here. Yes, the place. Thank you, Colonel Hamilton. Yes, these are the plans of West Point. And the man called Anderson has confessed to being Major John Andre, adjutant to General Clinton, who commands the British forces in New York. I see you all understand the gravity of this news. But, sir, where did Andre get the plans? And how was he able to move through our line? Ah, I was coming to that. For that fact is the gravest of all. And for me, a matter of great personal grief. Not Arnold? Yes. Major Andre carried a safe conduct, signed by General Benedict Arnold. What? I can't believe But, gentlemen, we must first concern ourselves with the possible consequences of this conspiracy. Even now... British vessels in the Hudson may be moving to attack West Point. And if such an attack was successful, all our northern armies will be isolated, cut off. Like Gates in South Carolina. Exactly. And that defeat would mark the end of the war, for we would have no army left for resistance. Therefore, gentlemen, we must take what immediate steps we can to prevent such attack. Colonel Lamb? Yes, Your Excellency. You will ride to Stony Point at once and take command. Yes, sir. General Knox? I want you to take command of the forts at West Point. Yes, sir. Captain Shaw, ride post haste to General Green. Tell him I want him to put the division on the left in motion as soon as possible. Yes, Your Excellency. Lafayette, you will remain with me. Yes, sir. And now, Hamilton, for you, what is, I suppose, the plum? What is that, sir? I want Benedict Arnold, Hamilton. I want him brought here to me. But, sir, have you any idea what... Yes, yes, we talked to men at the landing. Shortly before we arrived this morning, Arnold rode to the river, jumped into a barge... And ordered the men in it to row downstream. That's all we know. Well, it's a long start he has on us, sir. That was hours ago. If we'd been sooner. Well, so we must try. 
I have to look at his face. Look at him, sir? I thought I'd never known a traitor. Yet all this time I've had one beside me and was blind to it. I praised him, loved him, and he was a traitor. If I couldn't see it in him, treason may be everywhere around me, and I wouldn't see it. It has probably gone no further, sir. You will find there's no one else. No one else? When a man like Benedict Arnold is a traitor, I tell you the ground may be rotten under our feet. The very will of the revolution rotted away. Bring him to me, Hamilton, if you can. I'll try, sir. Then, when I've looked at him, when I know what treason looks like, he'll hang by the neck until he's dead. It is late afternoon, the air chill and darkening. The orders are given and the men are gone. And for General Washington, there's a long, a heavy time to wait. But if he wavers, if he fears for his nation, there is no one but Lafayette to know. As they wait and talk together in the study, listening to time tick by. Wait, wait, there's no... Oh, there's so much waiting in this war, Lafayette, and I'm sick of it. Another cup of tea, you actually... No, thank you. I feel sometimes that I'm condemned for some reason to sit forever and watch a clock. And sometimes it will say one thing to me, and sometimes another. One time the clock asked, will there be an alliance with France? I remember that waiting, sir, also. Another time the clock said, can bone and flesh on the hearts of your men endure this winter? That was at Valley Forge. And today it says, did Lamb reach Stony Point? Is Knox all right? Is, Clint, is Clinton sailing on West Point? Did Shaw get to Green? Time. Time, and always before I had a certain answer for that clock, Lafayette. What was that, sir? I answered, there will be an alliance. Bone and flesh will endure. There will be a nation. Because the men who fight for this cause are strong and united and can never be corrupted. And now, sir? Now, there is Benedict Arnold. Lafayette, do you grasp what this may mean? To find there is a Benedict Arnold in our ranks? What treason means? Out there. Walking so aimlessly in the garden are two young officers, Barrick and Franks. Are they in this too? They were very close to Arnold, sir. How far has it gone beyond Benedict Arnold? How far? That's what treason means. You think it may be a conspiracy, sir? Worse. Maybe you and I and a handful are all who really believe in this elusive cause we've been chasing these long months. Oh, you don't believe that, sir? No, but I know this. But nothing I faced, no danger had frightened me... More than this knowledge of treason. I don't know where I stand, Lafayette. Or who are our friends. You know your friends, sir. Upstairs, locked in her room since morning, is a woman. Peggy Arnold, the beautiful Peggy Shippen of Philadelphia. Is she a traitor too? Of course, she may be with her husband in this. Yes, I always thought she was unscrupulous. Lafayette, I'm going up and talk to Madame Arnold. won't talk to anybody. Madam, you must compose yourself. I am your physician. Doctor, perhaps I had better... No one. No one. I'll talk to no one, but... Yes, I will. I'll talk to General Washington. But this is His Excellency, General Washington, madam. Oh, no. No, you're trying to fool me. I know him. He wants to kill my child. He's trying... Oh, my head hurts. He's raving mad, Your Excellency. Perhaps if you try. Very well, Doctor. Maybe... Peggy Shippen. Who calls me by that name? I used to know that name. 
I knew a little girl once who had that name in Philadelphia. Then she grew up and got married. Uh, what was her name then? Her name became Arnold. <laughs> Is the name Arnold a laughable one, Peggy Shippen? Her name was Arnold. But then she became a duchess. A duchess? Did you know that? No. How did she become a duchess? Her husband saved his country. And his king. And his king. But her husband is gone, Peggy. He deserted her. You're lying. He's up there, don't you see? He's on the ceiling. Oh! Oh! Yes, Mrs. Washington. Please help her all you can. Yes, Your Excellency. My husband. My husband will never come back. He's gone. Gone. Wait, General Washington. Oh, you're waiting here, Lafayette. Did you learn anything, sir? Is Madame Arnold a traitor? Yes, she's a traitor. She is? Then will you... She's a traitor to a little girl I used to know. A red-haired girl named Peggy Shippen. That's the first portion of the Cavalcade of America. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the Cavalcade of America. Treason, and in its wake a madwoman shrieking the ambitions which are the seed of treason. And by evening, this is all General Washington knows. He fears much more. It's a quiet evening along the Hudson. The air is sharp and clear. Downriver, there are lights on an anchored ship. And opposite, in the West Point forts, there are lights too. After supper, Washington goes out into the garden, and there he finds young Colonel Varick and Major Franks. Gentlemen, I assume you've had some sort of report about what's happened here today? Yes, sir. Of course, we haven't been told much, sir. That's only natural. All that is necessary for you to know is that General Arnold is a traitor to his country. Yes, we know that. As a matter of fact, we reported to Colonel Hamilton that we've had certain suspicions, sir. You've had suspicions? Well, there was the call from Joshua Smith. You've heard of him, sir? The renegade Smith, he called on Arnold? Yes. And then we knew the forts were badly neglected and undermanned. And you never reported any of these things? Why, Colonel Varick? Well, sir, when you arrived, you praised General Arnold so highly, told me what a fine soldier he was, what a hero. Yes. Yes, I did. I believed he was all that. Well, gentlemen, I really have nothing much to talk to you about, but I felt since you had been close to Arnold... We know nothing more, sir. No, it's only that I thought I could tell... Well, I, I don't know what I thought. General Washington, sir, I, I know something you should have said to me. My conduct has been stupid, irresponsible, and unbecoming an officer. I, uh, I want to resign my commission, sir. But I don't ask that. And I, sir, I am no less killy than Colonel Varick. I see. And you wish to resign your commission? Yes, sir. You see, sir, since we were associated with General Arnold so closely, you couldn't help but feeling uneasy about us. Well, if you resign, what will you do? I, I'll re-enlist, sir. Re-enlist? As a private, of course. And you, Major? I'll re-enlist, sir. Resign your commissions under a cloud, under suspicion of treason, and then re-enlist? Why? Why? Well, there's the revolution, sir. Yes? It seems to me, sir, that it may take another year or so to win. We uh, can re-enlist, can't we, General Washington? No. No, gentlemen, you cannot. I'm sorry, sir. You cannot re-enlist as privates because I haven't accepted your resignations as officers. (laughs) 
A day of crisis, and now the gray, austere man, Washington, knows much more that the infection of treason is Benedict Arnold's alone. It has not spread. And the hours go by. Midnight. One o'clock. Two. Three. Captain Shaw reporting, sir. Well? General Green's division is in motion, sir. He reports no enemy troop movements upriver. General Knox is here, Your Excellency. Yes, General. I wish to report all quiet across the river, sir. There have been no attempts made on the forts, and no British force has been sighted in the river, sir. Thank God. Now there will be no attempts. And now, Your Excellency, we'll go to bed. No, Lafayette. There's still one thing to wait up for. We haven't heard from Hamilton. General Washington, sir. Come in, Hamilton. We were waiting for you. It's not good news, sir. By now, it can't be bad news. Arnold escaped, sir. I rode hard, but his barge took him to the British sloop, the Vulture. Well, you'll feel at home there. But he sent you a letter, sir, under a flag of truce. It was brought to me. Here it is. So he feels the need to explain. Well, we'll read it. Listen. The principle of love to my country. Which country, Hamilton? Actuates my present conduct. However, may appear inconsistent to the world. I ask no favors for myself. I have too often experienced the ingratitude of my country to expect it. No, why read more? Well, sir, we, we've got Major Andre anyhow. Yes, and he'll hang. Hamilton, now I'll never be able to look at General Arnold and see what treason looks like. I tried, sir. But now I don't have to, Hamilton. Today I learned all there is to know. I learned in the raving of a madwoman. Madam Arnold? Yes, and I learned from the simple belief of two men, Barrick and Franks. Learned what, sir? That treason is a fungus, Colonel. A creeping growth. Tenacious, evil. But it can only grow, like any other fungus, where there is already decay. It grows in mold and rot, Hamilton. Yes, sir. So... When I talked to Barrick and Franks, I learned that treason can't flourish, can't develop in men such as those who follow us. No, sir. No, Hamilton. For such men are made of steel. Our thanks to you, Herbert Marshall to all the other members of tonight's DuPont Cavalcade. Next week, the DuPont Cavalcade will bring you Marsha Hunt and Marjorie Reynolds in Flight Nurse. Perhaps of all the work that is being done in this war by women, the most packed with danger and excitement, with sacrifice and devotion, with fatigue and heart's pain, is the work that is being done by the young American women, still in their 20s, most of them, who are flight nurses, angels of mercy with wings. Our play next week is based on the actual experiences of these efficient heroines. Listen next Monday night to Flight Nurse, starring Marsha Hunt and Marjorie Reynolds on the DuPont Cavalcade. Music on tonight's Cavalcade was composed and conducted by Robert Armbruster. This evening's DuPont Cavalcade play was written by Arthur Arendt. It was based upon material supplied by Carl Van Doren. This is Gain Whitman inviting you to tune in next Monday to Flight Nurse. Starring Marsha Hunt and Marjorie Reynolds 
on the DuPont Cavalcade, brought to you by E.I. DuPont's Jenny Morrison Company of Wilmington, Delaware. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's the Cavalcade of America from February 19th, 1945, with Washington and the Traitor, starring Herbert Marshall, also in that cast, John McIntyre, Lorene Tuttle, Howard McNear, and Paul Theodore, sponsored by DuPont, as heard on NBC. In just a moment, we'll tune in to part one of The Great Gildersleeve, but I do want to remind all of our listeners about our website, which is Hollywood360radio.com. We get emails all the time from people saying, how do I hear the show if I can't, you know, stay up and hear it? Or my station only plays two hours of the four hours? Or, you know, I'm going on vacation. I don't want to miss the show. Well, folks, we have a podcast at our website. It's there for you at your convenience to listen to the show. Now, it's always one week behind because we want to give our affiliates all across the country the latest and greatest show. But you only have to wait one week. It's only one week behind. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. It's right on our homepage. Just click it and listen to it anytime you want. All right, it's time now for the Great Gildersleeve. Let's go back to July 2nd, 1952. This is called the 4th of July speech. It stars Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you, partially transcribed, by the Kraft Foods Company. Kraft, makers of the one and only Miracle Whip salad dressing. We say one and only because there just isn't any other salad dressing like Miracle Whip. Miracle Whip is different, and it tastes different. Miracle Whip tastes so good, it's become the most popular salad dressing ever created. More Miracle Whip is sold than the next 20 leading brands of salad dressing combined. Try it. Make your salads better tasting with the one and only Miracle Whip. The great Gildersleeve has never plunged into the sea of matrimony, but he does like to dangle his toes in the water once in a while. A few days ago, he met a Miss Gloria McKinley, manager of the complaint department at Hogan Brothers. He hasn't had a date with her yet, but this afternoon, he has persuaded her to let him drive her home from work. Accordingly, we find him parked in front of the store with his motor running. I better leave it running, too. That policeman in the corner has his eye on me, and I'm parked in a loading zone. Well, I'm waiting to pick up a pretty little package. Right, George, I want to make a good impression on her. Should have washed the car. I didn't notice Leroy written in the dust in the hood. Oh, well... You, Gildy! Uh-oh, Judge Hooker. He would have to show up. Gildy, you're in a loading zone. I know it, Judge. And your motor's running. I know that, too. Why don't you turn it off before it boils over? Well, it is beginning to steam. You better start it up again, Gildy. You're too close to the fire plug. Oh, my goodness. The only backseat driver I ever saw who stands on the curb. Are you waiting for somebody? Judge, I'm not just sitting here trying to run out of gas. Oh, I know. It's closing time, and I'll bet you're waiting for Miss McKinley. Do you have a date? You bet. She's letting me drive her home. Well, I guess she figures that's better than taking the bus. Yes, yes. She can save a dime and make fewer stops. Unless you plan to stop and watch the sun setting behind the reservoir. (laughs) 
Judge, will you please go away? As it happens, Gildy, I must. I'm going home and read my Fourth of July speech. I'm orating at Kraft Park. Well, I thought Congressman Greenhall was going to speak. Well, he's leaving for the convention, and I'm reading the speech that he prepared. Oh? I suppose you'll be there to hear me. There must be a better way to spend the fourth than listening to an old goat. Gildy, I don't exactly relish the assignment. Miss Matterhorn is vacationing at Virginia Lakes, and I'd plan to go up there for the fourth. Judge, I don't envy you reading somebody else's speech. Well, if I don't like what the congressman has written, I can always preface it by saying the views expressed in the speech do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker. Step aside, Judge. Huh? Here comes Miss McKinley. Oh, I'll open the door. Judge, let me open it. It's already open. Busy, buddy. Hello, Miss McKinley. Sorry if I've kept you waiting, Mr. Gildersleeve. Not at all. I've kept him entertained. Judge, hop in, Miss McKinley. Oh, thank you. <sighs> Judge, you may now close the door. Well, aren't you going to introduce me? No. All right. Miss McKinley, may I present Judge Hooker? How do you do, Judge? This is a rare pleasure, Miss McKinley. Look at him bow. He's isn't careful, he'll bump his head on the running board. <laughs> Goodbye, Judge. Goodbye. Goodbye, Judge. I told you goodbye, Gildy. Why don't you go? <laughs> yes, yes. Come on, car. Could your car be out of gas? Oh, the water commissioner doesn't burn gas. He burns water. <laughs> Oh, Judge. Darn car would have to embarrass me at a time like this. My, my, what a noisy car. Goodbye, Judge. Why don't you bring it to the park on the 4th and we use it instead of firecrackers? Courtroom <laughs> comedian. Is Judge Hooker a friend of yours? He poses as one. Well, all in one afternoon I've met a distinguished judge... And I'm being driven home by the city water commissioner. Well, Miss McKinley, you'd be riding in a new car if this wasn't election year. <laughs> You've heard the cracks about freezers and fur coats and stuff like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You men in the public eye have so many things to think about. Well, scarcely a day goes by that I don't think about something. <laughs> I've always wondered what important men talk about. Yeah, so have I. Oh, oh. <laughs> You mean the judge and me? Of course. Oh, you don't have to be so modest, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, thank you. Well, now, what problems were you two men wrestling with? Oh, nothing important, really. When you came up, we were just discussing the Fourth of July speech. Oh. Are you going to deliver the speech at the Fourth of July celebration? Me? Oh, thrilling! Well, anyway, that's what the judge and I were discussing. And he was asking you to deliver the speech. Well, no, not exactly, Miss McKinley. Originally, our congressman was supposed to make the speech. <gasps> oh. But he couldn't be here, so he had to ask somebody else. So the congressman himself asked you. Are you a close friend of his, too? Well, I voted for him. <laughs> he helped put him in office, I mean. How wonderful that he asked you to take his place. What are you going to say in front of all those people, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, frankly, I haven't given it much thought. I don't suppose that's a problem to an experienced orator like you. Well, you can be sure I'll come up with something. I wonder what I will come up with. (laughs) 
So that's how it happened, Marjorie. Now I'm behind the eight ball. Anki, why did you lead her to believe you were going to make the speech? I didn't. When a woman wants to believe something, she just believes it. I got an idea, Unc. What's that, Leroy? Tell me you can't make the speech because you have laryngitis. But I don't have laryngitis. Go get your feet wet and catch it. (laughs) Leroy, don't be ridiculous. I'm not even supposed to give the speech. That's Judge Hooker's job. Why didn't you just tell her Judge Hooker was supposed to do it? Well, she made it sound like such a big thing, I couldn't say no. She'll probably be sitting in the front row, and if I don't appear, she'll think I'm a braggart. Yeah. She'll think I'm just trying to attract attention to myself. Yeah. She'll lose respect for me. Yeah. She'll think I'm just a big... Windbag? Yeah. Well, <laughs> just helping you out. Yeah, well, don't put words in my mouth. Okay. What are you going to do, Anki? Well, now that I'm in this deep, there's only one thing to do. Call her and tell her she made a mistake about the whole thing. She made a mistake? Well, she got the wrong impression. I'll tell her Judge Hooker is making the speech. Oh, I think that's very wise, Anki. You bet. She'll like me better if I tell her the truth. Yeah, I'll drive over and see her right now and clear up the situation. I'll get it! All right, Bertie. If it's for me, I'm just leading. Yes, sir. Excuse me, President. One moment, please. It's you, Miss Gilsey. Bertie, I said I was leaving. Yes, sir, but this is a lady. And when there's a lady on the phone, I know you ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Oh, well... Hello? Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. This is Gloria McKinley. Miss McKinley? Oh, yes, Miss McKinley. Well, I was just thinking about you. There's something I want to talk to you about. Oh, I hope you don't think it's terrible of me to phone you, but there's something I must talk to you about, too. Good. Uh, Glad you called, but first let me clear up something about that Fourth of July speech. The speech of yours is what has me so excited. I just had the most marvelous idea. Oh? Hogan Brothers is having a special 4th of July window display. Fine. Now, about the speech. I'm coming to that. I'm so thrilled about your making the speech. I'm having our art department put a sign in the store window. A sign in the window? Telling people not to miss the important address to be delivered in Craft Park by Commissioner Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Zeke. (laughs) Why? Miss McKinley, you shouldn't have done that. Oh, it was nothing. Yes, it was. You don't understand. Suppose I don't even make the speech. But you said you were going to. Now, wait a minute, Miss McKinley. Mr. Gildersleeve, you weren't just leading me on, were you? Miss McKinley, I'd never do that. Oh, I'm sure you wouldn't. Now then, what did you want to talk to me about? You said there was something that needed clearing up. Clearing up? Oh, yes, yes, well... It's a little cloudy. I hope the weather clears up so I can give that speech. The sun is shining at my house. It isn't shining over here. You look a little better this morning, Aunt. You don't look so worried and wrinkled. Leroy, I'm not wrinkled. And I do feel better this morning. I don't get it. You meet a new girl, and the first time you take her out, you get yourself in a big hassle. Yeah, I'm not in a hassle. I figured the whole thing out. Yeah? Judge Hooker doesn't want to make the Fourth of July speech anyway. All I have to do is offer to make it for him. He'll be delighted. Then he can go to Virginia Lakes and see Miss Matterhorn. You'd rather look at Miss Matterhorn than make a speech? Well, there's no accounting for tastes. Yeah, I'm stopping here in the judge's office, my boy. See you later. So long, huh? 
And that's the first portion of The Great Gildersleeve from July 2nd, 1952, starring Willard Waterman. Good 4th of July program, sponsored by Kraft, as heard on NBC. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time here on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve. Then we'll hear part five of the ten-part story, The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morse from 1946. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.